This is A Disciple's Point of View, One Disciple's Perspective on God's Word. My name is Craig and I'll be your host today as we go through a myriad of topics related to Christianity. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Eternal Life 101. So we finished last week with chapter 8 and verse 17. Got kind of a little bit of a sobering moment there where in verse 17 it says that we will be heirs with Christ and fellow heirs with him if we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. So again, whenever you see therefore, because of, for, etc., etc., it's always building off of the previous statement. So in verse 18, where we'll start this week, it says for. So in light of suffering with Christ, I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So in James chapter 1, as I've said in previous podcasts, that we should rejoice when we face trials and sufferings of many kinds, which sounds counterintuitive because in the Christian life, oftentimes we, we talk about, you know, you're going to have this, you're going to have that, et cetera, et cetera, instead of just simply laying the foundational truth of what the gospel is. And the gospel is just simply peace with God. In uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, there we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we oftentimes don't sit there and tell people that when you become a Christian, there's a possibility you're going to receive reproach for this. You're probably, you know, if you belong to a, um, a family that believes in another religion, so to speak, um, or quite literally, such as happened in the early church, it was a very Jewish church. Believe it or not, it was a Messianic church, first and foremost. That's who first received the gospel. And that's why Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, first for the Jew, then for the Greek, because it's not so much because of any kind of betterment. It's not because the Jews are any better than us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? But this, this covenant was first promised to them. In Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel chapter 37, Jeremiah 31, Daniel chapter 9, and Isaiah 53, it was first and foremost, this was a new covenant that was promised to the Jewish people first, to Israel first. So since they largely rejected the gospel of Christ, as we see in Romans chapter 11, as we will see in future episodes, but it remains a present truth that the Jewish people by and large have rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah. So God then has now, this is the mystery that Paul talked about in Colossians chapter 1, that we are stewards of the mystery of God in that the new covenant would be largely enjoyed by the Gentiles first. That was something that was not revealed in the Old Testament, and that is why Paul called it a mystery. And that is why oftentimes that Christianity is equated to non-Jewish people or white people because, well, let's face it, I mean, a lot of European people came over to the Americas and preached Christ and preached Christianity. Whether it be Catholicism or Protestantism is, is irrelevant. I mean, it was largely just passed on by people who are not Jewish, right? But that's where we oftentimes fail in the church because we don't tell people that they may suffer a little bit of a little bit because they're largely uh, rejecting the, the religion of their parentage, in essence. You know, whether it be um, 
Orthodox Jewish belief, whether it be Hinduism, whether it be Buddhism, whether it be Islam, et cetera, et cetera. If you become a Christian, you may suffer from the name of Christ. And that is a present reality. And to be quite honest, if you have never, ever, ever suffered as a Christian, then you may want to do an inventory of your life and see, are you truly living according to the scriptures? Are you truly living the life God has called you to live? Because in essence, the Bible is our instructional book, right? That is the only way we know what is and what is not. Christianity is by the Bible. It is by this compiled and agreed upon work, um, or I should say a compilation of works that back in the 300s AD that a group of men came together and said, we believe that this is composed by the Spirit. This is not. This is. This is not. And I heard one pastor talk about one time how basically you read works that are not considered part of the Bible, and it's like chalk and cheese. You can instantly tell by the reading, the Holy Spirit will tell you, yeah, this is inspired, this is not, etc. Can we get value out of non-Christian works? Well, technically, any book that is written now, period, at all, anything that is extra biblical is extra biblical. It is outside the works of the Bible. I'm going down a little bit of a rabbit trail here, but basically we can know what true Christianity is if we view it through the lens of the Bible, right? And that is the only way we know. And if you're living according to the scriptures, that's how you know you're living a godly life. That is the only way we know, realistically. And if you live according to that, oftentimes you will be subject to persecution. So that's what Paul's talking about here. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth compared to the glory that will be revealed in us and to us. So basically, uh, when the rapture occurs, as I believe it will, before the tribulation happens, I went through that in my series called Tumultuous Times, how every single um, Christian living today that is part of the church will be raptured out because the church is not appointed unto wrath. Right. And the tribulation is all about the wrath of God. And it's all about the purification of Israel and finally bringing the Israel into the new covenant. Right. So let's move on to chat, uh, verse 19. It says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And we'll continue into verse 20 for that verse to make sense. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to the corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So that's referring to the fall, right? So the fall of man in Genesis chapter three and the subsequent just tumbling deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole of sin to where we find ourselves in the present day and where basically God had instituted from the very outset uh, to the serpent in condemning the serpent, which was, as we know, according to the book of Revelation chapter 12, is the devil, right? He basically said to the devil that um, I will put enmity between your offspring, meaning Satan's offspring, and hers, meaning the messianic line. Uh, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head, right? So basically, from the foundation of everything that happened, it was prophesied how Jesus would come into the world and would die for the sins of the world, right? And basically end this curse. But God has decided in his forbearance to allow the church to go on for 1900, almost 2000 years 
He has been incredibly forbearing and incredibly compassionate and incredibly uh, forgiving towards this world that he has not judged the world for its sin. And some people who are detractors of Christianity and of the Bible will point to many of the evils that have happened and many of the evils that the church has perpetrated in the name of Christ. But again, if we are living according to the tenets of the scriptures, and oftentimes whenever those atrocities were committed, the scriptures weren't read by the lay people within the body of that particular congregation because at that time the clergy were the only ones that were the keepers of the word of god they were the ones who could handle it they were the ones who are qualified and it's just like me i'm a lay person i don't have a degree i'm not a pastor etc cetera, etc cetera. but i'm sitting here telling you what the word of god says because now we have it widely available and we know killing people in the name of christ is not a good thing we know that according to the scriptures right um, that Jesus told us to turn the other cheek and to not resist evil, an evil person and to go through suffering is actually a good thing. And that God is going to bring about future prophecy, not by our military might, such as happened in the Crusades, that they tried to liberate Jerusalem by military might. And I believe it worked for a time, but then it fell back out of Christian hands, so to speak. So God is going to bring about future prophecy in of his own power, in and through his own strength. And interestingly enough, circling back around to the, the subject of the text here, the creation is going to be redeemed through us. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, it talks about how we're made in the image of God, right? So if God is the king of the universe, if he is a subject of everything, if we are looking to him to contemplate and worship and all this and that, and we are made in his image, it would stand to reason then obviously that we're pinnacles of God's creation. So it makes sense, therefore, that if we're fallen, if we're sinful, and that our redemption is going to bring about the redemption of the world, all of that text I just said basically makes sense in that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And that's verse 21 of chapter 8. So I pontificated enough there. Let's move on to verse 22. It says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We can pretty much see that in the world, right? The world is pretty, pretty uh hostile to human beings and that's largely why i believe and that the scriptures do declare in verse 23 and now only the creation and now not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies we sit here and say lord i'm ready anytime you're ready etc I've, I've seen so many times on christian twitter where, you know, a lot of people are like, I'm so tired of this world. And really what that says is basically exactly what verse 23 is talking about. That the spirit within us and we along with the spirit, because we're being transformed into the image of Christ, are groaning. that We want to see God rule. We want to see the, we want the rapture to happen. We want this, we want God's kingdom to be established. But we always have to remember in the back of our minds too, when we start groaning, and while it's very scriptural to be that way and to feel that way, right? We have to remember that every day that God delays his wrath falling on this world is another day that souls can be saved. 
That's what I always have to remind myself when I groan inwardly and eagerly await the adoption as a son, right? I want to see God rule. I want to not be tempted by sinful thoughts anymore because they crop up in a moment. And it's like, you know, you're driving down the freeway. Somebody cuts you off and you get angry, right? And you just start saying, you dummy, you idiot, et cetera, et cetera, right? Another personality seemingly takes over. But then we reflect and we remember. It's like, oh, I shouldn't be that way. I should be loving and kind. And I'm going to be held accountable for every single idle word, right? So I repent of that. I say, Lord, forgive me. And then I move on. But ultimately, it's like, gosh, I just would love it if I didn't have to face this anymore. And that's what verse 23 is talking about. We groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies to be glorified. You know, as we get older, our bodies are starting to break down, right? The law of entropy takes over and we start breaking down. You know, I just went for an eye appointment yesterday because my eyesight is getting worse as things do as we get older, right? And that's exactly what I was told. But I groan for the redemption of my body as verse 23 declares. So let's move on to verse 24. For in this hope, meaning the redemption of not only this world, but of our bodies and Christ's kingdom being established, for in this hope, we were saved. So ultimately, we're not saved for this world. We're not looking to be blessed for this world. We're looking for the redemption of this world and of our bodies and for Christ to reign. Ultimately, and we're being trained up for servicing the kingdom of God, right? As I declared in a tidbit and reminded you of in last week's Eternal Life 101. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, or for who hopes for what he sees? So we clearly don't see the kingdom of God in this world. So this is how we could dispel <laughs> the, the, the argument of amillennialism. So just a little bit of a rabbit trail. I don't believe that we're seeing the kingdom of God in its totality and fruition. We're seeing a shadow of it right now. We're seeing the building up of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is God ruling by his spirit through his creation, through his people, right? Through his sons and daughters that he has saved out of the world. So we don't see his kingdom right now, as verse 24 declares, because we don't see it. We hope for what we see or what we will eventually see, right? So in verse 24, it totally dispels that. In verse 25, for if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So you got to remember too, this was written around 50s AD. So Jesus had already been ascended into heaven probably about 15 to 20 years before this. So the kingdom of God, yes, it was in the world, but it was not predominant and in fruition in the world. We are waiting for it with patience. Paul declared that right here in chapter 8, verse 24 through 25. So we clearly see that we don't see the kingdom of God yet born out into the world. We see the foundations of it. The foundations of it are absolutely there because the church is here. The church is present, true believers in Jesus Christ, that God knows who they are and that they are living out their lives and hopefully doing the work of the kingdom and telling other people about Jesus Christ or discipling them or heralding the gospel. I'm hoping that by this podcast that I'm doing that for anybody listening to this. Anybody who's listening to this, it's meant to build you up. It's meant to point you to Christ. It's meant to bring you to salvation if you're not. So we're building the foundations for the kingdom of God, but we don't have, we, we don't see it in the world right now. Okay. Let's move on to verse 26. So likewise, 
So all of that being said, likewise, the spirit helps us with our weaknesses. So in previous podcasts, I alluded to this. I alluded to that the spirit intercedes for us. And we're going to get into that here in just a few minutes. But in verse 26, it says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the spirit himself intercedes with for us with groanings too deep for words. So quite often, if you're sitting there praying, if you can't find the right words, or your heart's just breaking and you just, words fail you, just know that before the Father, the Holy Spirit is interceding for us with words that, and groanings that can't really be expressed in any other way, right? So just as First uh, John chapter 2, verse 1 tells us that Jesus intercedes for us because he sits at the right hand of God, right? And this is, again, an allusion to the Trinity, right? We cannot get away from the fact that God is three in one. There's no other way around it. The Spirit himself intercedes for us to the Father. Jesus intercedes for us to the Father, right? But they are one mind. They are one Godhead. They are one, I hate to use the word hive mind, but in a way that's kind of what it is, a hive mind to be more like us. If we live according to the Spirit, if we're living in concert with the Spirit, we are in essence of a hive mind, so to speak. But that's a good thing. It leads us to godliness. It leads us to all the fruits of the Spirit that the world itself would say is good. Peace and getting along with each other and loving each other, the world would say is absolutely wonderful and good. Okay? So it is absolutely for the good when I say hive mind, okay, in reference to uh, living out the Christian life. Verse 27, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So again, it builds on that whole thing that Paul was just saying in verse 26, that basically he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. And the mind of the Spirit is ultimately the mind of God, right? So when you have the Holy Spirit within you, we're being intricately woven not only into the image of Christ, but anything that is impure, God sees that already. And that may scare you to some degree, but in a way it should give you a degree of comfort. Because if you're angry with God, you don't want to sit here in your prayers, dance around that. God already knows you're angry with him. So just tell him, be honest. He already knows. So you may as well just come out and say, God, I'm angry with you. You will find that very liberating because then God will by his spirit will start working that out within you. And he will start helping you to see that whatever you're going through, he is doing it for a purpose and a reason to shape and mold you. And oftentimes when we're going through something, it's like uh, elsewhere in scriptures, it talks about the discipline. And I believe it's in the book of Hebrews. Discipline is never pleasant at the time, but in the end, it reaps a harvest of righteousness, right? So if you've never experienced discipline as a Christian, if you've never experienced hard times, then again, you may want to re-examine your life. Um, the scriptures often talk about examine yourselves to make sure you're in the faith. It says that elsewhere in the New Testament. You can Google that Bible verse. Oftentimes, if I can't think of the scripture reference, I'll put Bible verse and then what I think the scripture says, and oftentimes it'll pop right up. Um, so often, basically, Google has become uh, the exhaustive concordance of uh, that we used to use back before the internet was a thing. Anyway, so 
let's just jump on to verse 28. So continuing with that same line of thought. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So um, there's a very popular television series that landed on Netflix called Manifest. And the mother figure who um, of Ben Stone and uh, Michaela Stone, which are some of the uh, main characters of the story, she would always say all things work together for good. All things work together for good, Romans 8, 28. And they were flight 828, right? And there was this whole theme going on throughout the uh, throughout the series. But anyway, I um, really do hope they get season four, by the way. Netflix, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Anyway, <laughs> um, in verse 28, it's talking about not that everything that happens is good. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, Right. So it's not saying that everything happens that it, it is good, but it works together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose, his being the Lord himself. So we always have to remember that anytime we're going through any kind of pain, suffering as a Christian, we always have to remember that it's not necessarily that what is happening to us is a good thing or that, you know, it's going to go on forever or that, you know, God is punishing me, etc. But oftentimes he's just utilizing that time to either discipline or to teach you something. It's not even also that you've done something bad, right? It could just be he's teaching you whatever he wants to teach you in that moment. So never forget that when you're going through suffering. That's why the book of James will say, consider it pure joy, not necessarily happy, but joy. That's two totally different concepts. Consider it joy. Know that God is working something within you. That's why it's a joyful thing, because God is working in your life at that moment, even though it doesn't seem like it. So let's go on to verse 29. And this is why I said in a previous podcast that I don't believe in free will completely. I don't believe that um, that we're completely free for we are dead in our trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians chapter one. Right. And Jesus himself said that none can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Right. In the book of John, it said that because in verse 29, it said, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. So, again, it's talking about this whole thing of, yes, God predestines us. But I do believe that once God illuminates the truth to our hearts, that we're sinners and that God will punish sin. But, hey, here's Jesus. And if you believe in him, you can have eternal life. Well, we're going to take that. You know, anybody who's truly born again, it undergoes this experience. They know their need. They feel their sin. They hate their sin and they turn from it. So I don't want to get too much into the weeds about predestination versus free will. And I did that in a tidbit. Strangely enough, there is a case for free will and that the believer does have a responsibility before God, not only to receive Christ, but to live out the life that we're called to live in the Christian faith, right? But at the same time, we can't do that until we're quickened unto life. We can't do that until God opens our eyes to the truth, in my opinion, according to what's in the scriptures here. And this is going to be our last verse for today. In verse 30, it says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And to those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. 
So in my mind, what that's basically saying is that if God predestines you, he's going to take it all the way to the end. Because in verse 25, for we hope we do not see, but we wait in patience for the kingdom of God to come into fruition. And if God predestined you, he's going to carry you through um, to the end of that purpose. And the purpose of salvation is glorification. Um, elsewhere, I believe it's in the book of Philippians, for he who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus, right? The day of Christ Jesus is when he will be revealed in all his glory at the end of the battle of Armageddon in Revelation chapter 19 and establish his kingdom as it say, states in Revelation verse, uh, Revelation chapter 20 rather. So that closes out our time in today's podcast, right? And so I've talked about how basically that our salvation will end in glorification and that glorification will ultimately be fulfilled within the kingdom of christ that for a thousand years and after a brief rebellion in the eternal state that is um, talked about in revelation chapter 21 and how you become a part of that kingdom and how you can know that you will be glorified in the end one day and how you can receive salvation i'll tell you about the next segment coming up just in a few seconds At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that he died for your sins and rose from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and your heart and everything through a process if you will to be able to embody what's already taken place in your heart by simply saying lord jesus i believe that you died for my sins i believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead and now i confess you as lord please take control of my life and i want to follow you for the rest of my days in jesus name i pray amen that's all you need to do and your life will change. Your life will change, not necessarily materially, not necessarily in terms of the world, but your life will change as far as your relationship with God. And you can know for certain that you're saved. The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He says, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but that you can know. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast.
I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at DisciplePOV, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.